Pentecostals, please stand. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. God, we're just so grateful and joyful that because of the love that you have for us, that we can come in boldness, we can come in confidence into your presence. Chance when I stand in your love, my fear. 
Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty and merciful Lord, grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You said, ask and you will receive whatever you need. You said, pray and I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal you in.
to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first lesson is from the book of Genesis, chapter 17, verse 1, commencing. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Then God said to Abraham, As for, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Please stand for the reading of the psalm. Our psalm is Psalm 22, beginning in verse 22, and we will read responsibly by the half verse. I will declare your name to my brethren. You who fear the Lord, praise him. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. For the kingdom is the Lord's. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. A posterity shall serve him. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was at the beginning, Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. St. Mark, beginning in chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bless the words that I'm going to share this morning, that they would not be hindered, Lord, by my own thoughts and opinion, but that you would speak through me to your people. I pray that this whole service, this sermon and everything else would be about you and not about us, Lord, that we might come to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to talk about Jesus. Surprise! (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one that all of this is about. The reason that we ask you to give up hours of your week, every week, for your entire life, is because of this guy, Jesus. So let's see what he has to say to us this morning, especially focusing on our gospel message. 
There's a phenomenon in marriage, a well-documented phenomenon, psychologically, physically, biologically, that you grow over time to resemble the one whom you've married. Now, some of you are like, dang, I don't know if I'm excited about that. (laughs) Hopefully not, right? I know that I am blessed by that resemblance because, man, Haley is a wonderful wife and she makes me a better person. But my point here is that there's this resemblance that comes from getting to know each other intimately over the years. There's even a physical resemblance from adopting their mannerisms and their facial expressions. Over time, it just happens, whether you like that or not. So my challenge to you as we start with that, this is just an aside, is if you think your husband or your wife is miserable and doesn't smile enough, look in the mirror because they're starting to resemble you. So think about it, right? That's just a little giveaway. That doesn't even necessarily have to do with what we're talking about this morning. But I bring that up because the reason that happens is because in the sacrament of marriage, the two become one flesh and that gets lived out. Over the course of your life together, you begin to resemble one another. And do you know what the sacrament of marriage is a picture of? It's Christ and his church. So what's the point of getting to know Jesus? It's so that we can begin to resemble Jesus. So that when we look right now, it says we see in a mirror dimly. But then we shall see fully as a face-to-face. And further, it says when we see him... We will be like him. That's a promise you can take to the bank. We are called to be transformed to be like Jesus. So when I talk about him this morning, what I want you to take away from everything I say is get to know Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Invite him into your life. I'll make one more caveat and we'll launch into the gospel. I don't mean come and sit at the church for eight hours and stare at the crucifix. What I mean is invite him into your life, in your work. Ask yourself the cliche question, what would Jesus do? And in fact, don't even just ask yourself, ask him, Jesus, what would you do in this situation? And as you get to know him through the scriptures, through inviting him into your life, you will become more like him. So today as we study this gospel, I want you to be looking for the ways that we can be like Jesus. And how he behaves in this gospel lesson. So we'll jump in. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Can you imagine how difficult it was to be Jesus? I think sometimes we still, even though we might hear it, we still think of Jesus as this kind of superman, this untouchable. He was was God, so of course it was fine. He just did everything perfect. In fact, sometimes we see people in our own lives who seem to have it all together and be like, man, it must be easy to be them. I want you to humanize Jesus in your mind because he was 100% tempted in every way as we are. He bore our burdens costly burdens. He didn't just go through life like Spock from Star Trek where nothing affected him, no emotions. I guess even Spock eventually felt emotions. But my point is he was just like one of us, right? There's something here that we need to think about. He's telling his best friends 
that he has to suffer and die at the hands of the people he loves. I can imagine Jesus studying the words of Isaiah, the prophet. In Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So maybe instead of thinking of Jesus as the Superman, the untouchable, the emotionless one, maybe you see him as the homeless man on the side of the street who you don't want to look at because you don't want to see the human misery. That's the implication as one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we esteem him not. We see his sorrow plainly in Luke 13, 34, where he's looking at Jerusalem and he's on his march to the cross. And before he enters Jerusalem, he's looking out and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. It says in that passage, he was weeping over Jerusalem. He was feeling the grief and the burden. Do you have maybe somebody in your circle, a friend, a loved one, a family member, who has taken a path that has led them to destruction? And you know the grief of feeling that separation and that alienation. And you think over them, man, I wish I could gather you and bring you into the comfort and the healing of restored relationship. Maybe you know somebody who you wish You have that same type of impulse towards them. And Jesus has this towards his people, the Israelites in Jerusalem. And then he learns through his life as he studies the scriptures and as God opens up his destiny before him. He learns he, those people that he's been preaching the gospel to, that he's been healing, that he has been spending every day with, they will reject him and ultimately crucify him. And now he has to share it with this group of followers that he's gathered to be a part of his mission. Jesus' radical love was not just on display on the cross, but in every day as he continued to preach the gospel and love those who he knew would be the death of him. The pinnacle moment, of course, of this love comes when he's on the cross, and even some will say this is the pinnacle moment in history when Jesus, instead of calling down the fire of God to burn up, these people who have killed him. Instead, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine a heart like Jesus' heart, the one he wants to grow inside of us? To be like Jesus is to love and forgive even those who betray you, even those who crucify you. Jesus is trying to help us to see what's going to happen in his life so that we will look back on our life and we will think, how can we be like Jesus? There's a reason he let the disciples in to his life. There's a reason he taught them so that they could pass on an understanding of the way of the cross to us, the way that loves even those who are unlovable, who have betrayed us. In fact, he continues and he starts to say, it says, and he said this plainly that he was right. He's going to suffer and die and raise again. And Peter, good old Peter, man, I relate to Peter. He takes him aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. You know, he's like, Jesus, just a couple, like literally the story before this, Jesus is transfigured on the mountain of transfiguration. And Peter sees Jesus, the Messiah, 
ruling, reigning king in all of his glory. And then Jesus starts talking about how he's going to suffer and die. Peter's like, no, 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 no. Just show them what you showed me. Just do that. Then you'll be king of the world. That's not the plan. The plan is for you to lead us to revolution. Right? And how does Jesus respond? He turns, he sees his disciples and Peter, and he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's harsh words to your best friend, who you just told. Like, you imagine, it's so complex, because Peter loves Jesus, and he's reacting out of his love and his desire to see the kingdom of God come. And yet, Jesus has to nail that temptation by calling it what it is, which is the temptation of Satan. You know why he reacted that way? Because he had already faced this temptation in the wilderness. We talked about it last week. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said, all these I will give to you. Just bow down and worship me. And what does Jesus say? Almost the same words he says to Peter. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The temptation was for Jesus to take the reins and accomplish the mission that God had given him on his own power and strength. We know how painful the tension of this temptation was, because we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times he begs God, is there any other way? Lord, if you are willing Take this cup from me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross and the betrayal and the suffering that he must suffer. Is there any way, any other way to accomplish your will, God? But because he'd been tempted in this, because he had already made the decision in his heart, he was able to say at the end, not my will, but your will be done. The key to understanding this is that Jesus had to conquer the private temptation in the wilderness to be able to withstand the public temptation from his best friend, Peter. Think about it. His character privately, when he just got baptized, he had no ministry, he'd done no miracles, he had no power and influence, and Satan says, hey, I'll give you the world. I'll give you everything that your heart cries out for. And he had to resist it then in order to then when he has this meteoric rise into fame and influence and he has this power to cast out demons and heal the sick, at that point, when he has more power and influence than any of us could imagine, then he has to still deny himself. But because he had already made that decision privately, he was able to walk it out publicly. How often do we allow ourselves to entertain temptations in private that we think, oh, that's not a big deal. God wants to deal with your heart because he wanted to give Jesus the power and the influence, but he had to test him in the wilderness to grow him into the type of person who could walk the walk of Jesus that leads him all the way to the cross. From a strategic perspective, Peter was obviously right. If God gave you two plans, one of them in which you allow yourself to be crucified and killed and betrayed by everyone you know and love, and one in which you conquer the world and you save your people from suffering and oppression, which one would you pick? Peter was right, but he was wrong when it came to what God's will was. Instead, Jesus chooses the way of pain and submission to God. It reminds me again of that C.S. Lewis quote from last week. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us, We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. 
That's our problem, right? It's like sometimes we know God has the best for us, but we wonder, I don't know if I like it, though, right? But Jesus knew that he had to trust God's way, even when he knew it would lead him through the valley of the shadow of death. To be like Jesus, we have to trust God's way, even when we know it will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. So how do we do that? Well, it's written, let us fix our eyes only on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we choose God's way even when it's hard? We open up our eyes to the bigger picture. God has set joy eternal before us. God has set joy eternal. And so the pain of this life, it says it's nothing compared with the glory that's been set before us. Now, I can say those words and you can be like, okay, I get it. It's a Bible verse. Fine. It's like something abstract and out there. But what happens is when you get to know God and you get to know the heart of God, you build up over time a history with God. You build up over time. You look back, man, he provided for me then. He saved me here. He resurrected this thing that I had to lay down there. And once you build that relationship with him, then it becomes like a husband and wife where I know that Haley wants the best for me. Even if sometimes she tells it to me straight and I don't like it. My pride's offended. But we have a relationship, a history. We've built up margins with each other so that I know she's probably saying this for my benefit and not for her own. That's what we do with Jesus is if you invite him into your life, you can grow that trust so that you can go through the difficult things, knowing that, man, I trust Jesus' heart for me and his ability to see me through, his ability even to raise me from the dead. Jesus makes all of these connections that I've been making explicit as he instructs his disciples and the people following him. So the disciples just saw him like shoot down the number one guy, Peter. He's like the ringleader, right? It's like Jesus and then Peter, and then there's like James and John, right? And Peter just got smacked down by Jesus. And so they're a little rattled. They're like, our, our, our king, our Lord, our Messiah is telling us he's going to suffer and die. And then he just smacks down like our second in command who had the thought that we all had, but we're too afraid to say it. They're a little rattled. And so Jesus takes it further and he says, let me explain. If any one of you, the people who've been following me for three years now, if any one of you would come after me, guess what? This is what it means. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a big chunk of scripture. There's a lot there. Let's break out a couple things that Jesus is telling us here. First of all, he's saying these are the two choices before you today. The choice is between death that leads to life or a life that leads to death. So two options. Do you want to put your priorities in the kingdom of God or in making your life what you want it to be? Let us forever banish this image of Jesus as this weak and kindly preacher who's soft-spoken and walks around just like, oh, you're good, yeah, you're wonderful. It's not the Jesus we read about in Scripture. 
He's not afraid to call us out of our sin. And it's not just calling out our sin, but out of our sin. He will not tolerate our lukewarm, half-hearted commitments. He calls us instead to radical self-denial, sacrifice, and discipleship, saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He will not allow us to selfishly focus on preserving our own life, but calls us to live for the bigger story, God's redemptive plan for the entire world. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He will not let us trade our souls for earthly pleasures and comfort, but challenges us to put the kingdom of God first and foremost in our life. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? And finally, he will not let us hide our faith behind a wall of respectability, apathy, but he challenges us to live for the coming of his kingdom and his glory. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I feel like that needs just a little bit of explanation there. I want to say just a couple things about that because I think when we read that, sometimes we go, but what does that mean for me? You know, I don't have a Roman uh, oppressor who's looking to crucify me for saying the name of Jesus. I don't have the Jews who are looking to bring me before the religious leaders and persecute me for believing in the name of Jesus. So what does it mean for us in our comfortable, mostly free land of America? What does that mean for us? What it means is we need to reorient our perspective. It's really easy in our culture, easier than ever before, to make our life all about the comfort and safety that we are given, almost by right of our birth. We're born in a great country where you don't have to worry about whether you're able to get food every day. So we have to actively, and Lent is the perfect time to do this, we have to actively seek, God, what do you want for me today? Now, these people, and in fact, I've been watching this show. It's called The Chosen. I highly recommend it. It's an interpretation of the life of Jesus. Really great. You can find it at thechosen.com, I think is what it is. But they show the, the difficulty that the Jews were experiencing in the oppression of the Romans. They were, they were desperate in a lot of cases, desperately poor, just trying to eke out a living. And when the, the rumor that there was somebody who could save them, a Messiah came, they were hungry and desperate for it because they knew their need. We can forget that we should be hungry and desperate for the provision of Jesus in our life because we're, all of our earthly needs are mostly taken care of. And then something goes wrong and we call upon him. But I'm inviting you to treat this call as a call into a deeper relationship with Jesus. It's a call to let him determine the priorities of your life. Maybe... And I just am speaking out of my own thoughts and temptations. But maybe it's not the newest big screen that you need, but it's the guy down the street who needs a meal. Maybe it's not the best job or the best car. Maybe it's the mission of God at the church that he wants you to invest in. 
This is not a guilt trip. This is not you, oh, well, I have the best job or the best card. No, 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 no. God loves that. But you have to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. The main thing is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To be like Jesus is to live fully for the purposes of God and the coming of his kingdom on earth. And do you know what? It's the only thing that makes everything else worth it. If all this life is about is the nice car and the good job and the wine and the meals, it's not worth it. There's too much pain. There's too much suffering. There's too much difficulty. But if instead our life is about eternal redemption, if it's about every pain and suffering and tragedy in our life being redeemed in the glory and goodness of God and the whole world being transformed so that there is no more pain and suffering, that's something worth living for. That's something that I want to live for. And you can actually create that within your life and within your family by cooperating with God in his purpose. As we continue our Lenten journey, these are my three invitations to you. Let us learn to love and forgive those around us, even those who despise or reject us. Let us learn to trust God's way, even when it's hard. And let us learn to live for the bigger story, for the kingdom of God on earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we get an opportunity to come before you today and to worship you and to remind ourselves that you are the orienting guide to our life. I pray that even as we go out into the world, that these would not just be words that we assent with our minds, but actually we integrate them into our life, Lord, that we would actually live differently because we'll start to think the way that Jesus thinks. We'll start to love the way that Jesus loved. We'll start to live the way that Jesus lived. And ultimately, I pray that no matter where we're at in our life, that we would learn to trust the goodness of God and your love for us, that we would trust you to bring us into the fullness of your plan for us, the goodness of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us continue with the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the The Father Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, 
and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church, that we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. Lord, hear the prayers of your people and what we have asked faithfully. Grant that we may obtain effectually to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. Hello. Good morning. I've got a big slate of announcements for you this morning. Um, We've got a bunch of stuff coming up here uh, in Lent, and I think it is an opportunity. Each one of them is an opportunity to uh, get closer to Christ and what he wants to do in our lives. Uh, The first one I want to announce is the men's meeting later this month, Uh, and we're going to do it at 9 o'clock here. And... I was just thinking back to the last men's retreat. Deacon John House from Las Vegas gave us a word about cleaning out our garage. Um, And we're doing that around here. There'll be some uh, dump runs. And what he talked about when we clean out our garage is we are like open to what God wants to do next in our lives and in our church. So we're going to come together on the 20th at 9, and we're going to take some stuff to the dump, and we're going to clear out our garages so that we can use them for whatever God wants us to. Amen? Okay, uh, next is uh, Lenten Confession. Every Saturday at 10 o'clock, we're going to do confession here. And, uh, you know, sin is a problem, but the, the thing that gives sin its power over the long term is guilt. And confession will break the power of guilt. So come to that if you if you need to, if you want to. Even if you don't think you need to, come to that because it's powerful. Amen. Okay, uh, next, uh, Easter Sunday, there's going to be an Easter egg hunt. Um, and this thing is hilarious. Marie, <laughs> Marie has told me about it. it. It is comical how she does it. But anyway, uh, she needs some filled plastic Easter eggs uh, to do this. And uh, so if we want to start donating those to her, uh, if you want to help with it, talk to Marie Madison, 
and uh, yeah, you'll you'll love it. The kids will love it. It is it's a lot of fun. So uh, if you want to be part of that, talk to Marie Madison. Okay, and last but not least, uh, this one I don't know if we have a slide for it, but it's close and near and dear to my heart, and it's uh, that home groups in person are starting again this week. <laughs> so um, they're going to be in two, uh, three places. They're going to meet at the Mercer's house. They're going to meet at my house, and uh, I'm excited to show. I've, I've made a lot of changes to my house, and I'm potentially making a lot more changes. So I'm excited to show you all those and uh, have you over. And the other, uh, that's up in San Juan at my house, and then down in San Clemente at the Powell's house, uh, we're also going to have a, a home group. And I know from being there that uh, Lewis and Debbie have made a lot of changes to their house. They've got a big view of the golf course and new lakes being put in there, and they've torn down a lot of stuff. So it's, it's excited. So we're excited to start seeing each other in person and uh, remembering how to uh, chit-chat without a video. So, <laughs> those are my announcements for you. Amen. Right. Yeah, it's a part of our rebellious uh, fight for normal. Mm. <laughs> yep. Looking forward to seeing everybody face to face. Yeah. And I'll say one thing, right? There's one thing that COVID was really, really terrible for, aside from all the physical stuff, and that's the isolation. And person after person has told me or has shared on social media how hard it's been to not be connected with their friends and their family. So we're hoping to fight back against that with the in-person home group. So if you want to invest in community and family and connection, that's the place to go. And you know what? God will show up too. It's going to be good. All right, let's pray for our offering. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Joy of our salvation. 
table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. You lift them up. Give thanks to the Lord your God. <laughs> Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you have given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts, that freed from the disordered affections, they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to the things that eternally endure. And so with all the angels and saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, our bishop, Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Connie, Susan, Carl, Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, Kyle, Sonia, Maria, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Kyla, the Majewski family, the Jones family, Elizabeth, 
the Sheridan family, Jason, Thomas, Morgan, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can lift up the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
something. (laughs) Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. And may the peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, fill your hearts and minds with the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen.